You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Ruth. This series uses the book of Ruth to explore how God wields hopeless, difficult, and mundane situations in life to bring about hope, love, and redemption. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Well, we are continuing our series today in the book of Ruth, and if you've been with us so far, uh, you've probably felt a little like you're on an emotional roller coaster, at least I have. I've felt uh, a little bit like I'm watching a soap opera, and uh, not that I watch soap operas, but uh, if I did, you know, this is how I would feel, I think, because uh, there's just these kinds of twists and turns in the whole story, and I really love that about the scriptures, that the scriptures don't uh, paint a picture of this like beautiful, perfect life that doesn't have any problems in it, but it paints the picture of a real life, and it paints the picture of real people who are going through real things. And uh, if you're new to Christianity, let me just be the first to say that Christianity is not about strapping on a smile and acting like all is well and talking about all the things that are going good, but Christianity is about a real life with a real God who, can, who helps us in our real daily issues. And what's going on in this story has just uh, cracked me up to this point because we've got Naomi who is really set up for life. She's got everything that a woman of her age could really want. She has a husband and she has sons. Her husband provides for her protection and provision in this moment. Her sons provide for her protection and provision in the future. And then a famine comes on the people of Israel and Naomi and her husband Elimelech and their two sons decide we got to move out of Israel into another place where maybe there's more opportunities. And so they, they, they move away and Naomi loses everything that she has. She loses her husband. She loses her sons. And all she has is two daughters-in-law from this other country, this country that worships unknown gods, and they don't have husbands. And so now Naomi is left with the burden of these, these, these daughter-in-laws are left with the burden of Naomi, and Naomi has nothing to show for her life. And not only that, because her daughter-in-laws couldn't conceive in the 10 years that they were married to their husbands, Naomi is left with no one to carry on the name of her husband which would have been incredibly shameful for Naomi. It would have left her feeling as though she was empty. It would have left her feeling as though she didn't fulfill her God-given purpose in life. I don't know if any of you have ever felt that, where you just felt like, man, am I really doing what God wants me to do in my life? Like, I thought my life would be like this, but my life seems to be going like this. I know that I felt that myself. That's exactly how Naomi feels. She actually says that God has forsaken her and that God has left her empty. And then we carry on in the book, and this kind of theme goes through the book, this overarching theme of the sovereignty of God, that in all of these things that are going bad, that actually God's behind all of it, and that he's working his purposes out for good, even though these bad things are happening to Ruth and Naomi. And we see themes like David preached about on the first week of just the loyalty of Ruth to Naomi. And then we see themes kind of popping through the book as Naomi is trying to help her daughter-in-law Ruth, and Ruth trying to help her mother-in-law Naomi. We see these themes popping up of Ruth being this faithful woman, like this Proverbs 31 woman that you read about in the end of Proverbs. And we see these themes of Naomi trying to help Ruth along in her relationship with Boaz, and Boaz being this great man of God who's faithful and caring and loving. And like I said, it's kind of like a soap opera. I mean, I just feel like I'm kind of like watching The Bachelor and like waiting, like, are they going to do it? Are they going to do it? Are they going to do it? Are they going to And then like we hit this point in the story last week where Ruth 
you know, through Naomi's help gets courage and she goes to uh, Boaz's threshing floor and she pulls back the blanket on his feet while he's asleep after a night of eating and drinking and lays down at his feet and Boaz is like, who are you? What are you doing? And, uh, and Ruth in her courage says, I want you to spread your wing over me. And that's kind of where we left it last week. Ruth expresses her intent and Boaz expresses his intent. And the story goes on and, and what happens is where we're going to pick up here in verse Ruth chapter 4 verses 13. If you have a black Bible, you can grab those out in the chair in front of you. Ruth chapter 4 verse 13. Boaz has gone at this point to the city gate and he's waited for the first redeemer and he's worked out with the first redeemer that Boaz really would be the one to take Ruth and he's talked with the elders of the people and he's worked out that he would be the one to take Ruth and here we have it that Boaz and Ruth get married in Ruth chapter 4 verse 13 it starts like this blessed be the Lord the women of the town say who has not left you this day without a redeemer And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi, the mother-in-law of Ruth, took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab fathered Nishan. Nishan fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Now you may read that and you may think like, what's up with the genealogy? Like why does the Bible always have to take me kind of through all these lists of names? Why does the Bible always have to do this thing where it kind of shows me like he was the father of him and he was the father of him. I I don't know about you, but I tend to like skip those parts in the Bible. Like, I'm like, oh yeah, I'll read that later when I want to study that. But I'll just get on to the, you know, the Psalms and the Proverbs and kind of the sweet and good things, the thing that kind of tastes good to me right now. But uh, it really is helpful for us. And what it shows us is that this little story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz is not just a little story that is kind of tucked away in history that doesn't really matter to the rest of history. But what it shows us is that God in being not only sovereign, but also redemptive, which is the major theme that I want to focus on this morning, that God in being redemptive to Naomi and Ruth in, in providing this Uh, This kinsman redeemer, Boaz, who provides for them and protects them and creates a future for them, that he wasn't just blessing a few little people in Israel, but actually he was working this out to bless the people groups of the earth. And that's what happens through the book of Ruth, is that God is working out his plan of salvation to bless the people groups of the earth. And what's amazing about this is that when the writer of Ruth was writing this story, he didn't know that Ruth and Boaz and Obed were going to be the plan of God for salvation to the ends of the earth. But it does work out that way. And this is the way that it is in the Christian life. The Christian life is never a straight path to glory. We do get to glory, but it's not a straight path there. There's crooks and turns and crannies all along the way. It's not like a highway road. It's like a mountain road where you're going over boulders and you're having to make your way along. And that's just how it is in this book. And in chapter 4, verse 17, we read that this very 
new baby born Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. And suddenly we realize that this story has much more to it than what we first saw. It's like a little stream that opens up into a river that opens up into an ocean. I'll tell you, I'll show you what I'm talking about. In Samuel, 2 Samuel seven sixteen, David, who, who was one of the, the great kings in Israel, God gives David this promise through the prophet Nathan. He says, and your house, David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So Nathan comes to David the king and he says, David, you need to know something. God has set it up to where your throne is going to be established forever. The throne that you sit on, a descendant of yours will sit on, and that descendant of yours will sit on that throne forever and ever and ever, and your throne will be an everlasting throne. Isaiah says it like this. He says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his Shoulder. This is the government that will rest upon the shoulder of David's descendant. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I don't know if you see what's happening here, but what's happening here is these prophets are speaking about this day that's to come where someone will come and will sit upon the throne of David and they will set up a kingdom that will be an everlasting kingdom. And this kingdom will have in its contents, it will have, it will have the, count, the wonderful counselor of God. It will have God as the mighty God, as the king. It will have this everlasting father. It will be a kingdom of peace. And this kingdom will be filled with justice and righteousness and it will go on forever and ever and ever. And this is the kingdom that the, that the Jews, the people of Israel were waiting for and, and Jews today would still be waiting for. And this, this, this promise, this prophecy about the king to come to sit on the throne of David, you've got to understand this is like a really big deal. This is like the thing that the people of Israel have been waiting for and waiting for and waiting for and waiting for. This is like a bigger deal than Ikea. And I was like, no, no, (laughs) Ikea? Yeah, bigger deal than Ikea. This is like a bigger deal than like the next episode of The Walking Dead. I know you're like, no, it's not. Don't you say that. Yes, it is. It's a bigger deal than, I know I'm going to like touch a sore wound here, but this is like a bigger deal than if the Cubs would have won the World Series this year. Like, because I know you're like, I hate you. I hate you. Don't hate me, but I'm just saying like, you know, the Back to the Future prophecy, like if that thing would have happened, you know, that guy would have been like, I knew it. I knew, I, you know, I'm just prophetic like that and someone's going to give me a million dollars and that's going to happen too. And, you know, it's just like, that was crazy that that would have happened. This is a bigger deal than that. And it's not just these prophets. There were over 330 prophecies about this king to come to sit on the throne of David, about this Messiah who would come and make right everything that has gone wrong for the people of Israel. I don't know if you know this, but all these prophecies came, 330 of them, and then for 400 years, God goes silent towards his people. And he doesn't say a word to them about this Messiah to come or what's, when it's going to come. And there's, no, there's kind of this progression and this progression and this progression, and then it's just 400 years of silence. And then John the Baptist comes on the scene and he's like, yeah, my cousin Jesus, he's the one. Everyone was like, John, you're crazy, man. Like, you're eating locust and wild honey, and you're, wearing, you're out in the w- woods, and you've lost it, man. He's like, no, Jesus is the one. 
And then Matthew 1 begins like this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it's kind of like, oh my gosh, maybe he really is the one. Maybe Jesus really is the one to sit on the throne of David. And then Luke 1, 33, 30 through 33, an angel comes to Mary and he says, Mary, don't be afraid for you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Does it remind you a little bit of that Isaiah passage? Where of the kingdom, there would be no end. The everlasting kingdom on the throne of David. That then this angel comes to Mary and says, Your son, Jesus, the one who, who, who the Holy Spirit came and birthed in you. The one that, 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 that has been growing in you. This one that you're about to give birth to. He is going to be the one to sit on the throne of David. And he will, God will set him up as a king over this kingdom. And his kingdom will endure forever. And you may be reading this and, you know, Jews of the time would have heard about this and they would have thought, no, 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 there's no way this could be it. There's no way this could be the Messiah. This isn't maybe a little bit how we expected it to be. And you may see this today and say, I just don't know. I don't know if I can get my head around this. I don't know if I can get my head around Jesus really being this this long-awaited king. I don't know if I can really get my head around the idea that God would send a king to rule over all the earth. So this is what other people said about Jesus. But you've got to ask yourself the question, you know, what did Jesus say about Jesus? And what did people say about Jesus? Jesus said things like, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. If you want to come to the Father, you have to come to me. Paul, in writing to the Colossians, he says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Paul thought it was Jesus. The crowds who followed Jesus were astonished at his authority. They said of him, he teaches with authority, not like our religious teachers, but it's like something else. It's like he has something that they don't have. People had never seen anything like his miracles. The blind received their sight. The deaf received their hearing. The crippled walked. The dead were raised to life. The, the, the f- crowds of 5,000 were fed with two loaves and some fish. And you look on this man and you look on his miracles. And then you look on his moral teachings. His moral teachings are still the, the, the highest standard of morality today. Love your enemies. Love your neighbor as yourself. Treat others as you want to be treated. No one, can, no one can match the moral teachings of Jesus. No one can match the miracles of Jesus. No one can match the authority of Jesus. No one can match the testimony of Jesus. They can't find Jesus' body in a grave. The tomb is empty. And they can't prove that it's not. And not only to mention that, but those 330 prophecies that I mentioned, he fulfilled every single one of them in his life. 30 in one day. Josh McDowell says it like this, if Jesus Christ was who he claimed to be, and he did die on a cross at a, point in time of, of, at a point of time in history. Then for all history past and all history future, it is relevant. Because that is the very focal point for forgiveness and redemption. 
If this is true of Jesus, if he really is the one who came to sit on the throne of David, and this little story of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and this redemption that came about in their lives is just a glimpse into the picture of redemption that God has for his people. It's just a glimpse. It's just a little hint. It's just a little sliver of light breaking forth in the darkness to show us what God has for his people. It's just like a little bit of salt on this big feast. And you just get one little piece of salt on your tongue and you go, wow, Boaz is a good dude. Wow, Ruth was a good woman. Wow, like God was working in their lives. And then you get the picture of the feast and you get to taste of this, oh my God, like Jesus is the greater Boaz. And like he loves his church more than Boaz loved Ruth. And like he gave his life more than Boaz gave up anything for these women. But if you don't get that, then it's just a story about like some good moral characters who did some good things. There's been a lot of good guys. There's only been one Jesus Christ. And he makes promises to redeem you. And if you have not been redeemed by him, which what redeemed means is that you, you buy something back that's been lost. You, you, you purchase something and it's yours. It was lost, it was gone, it was broken, you made it right. You got it back. And Jesus makes a promise to every single person on planet earth. He says, I will redeem you. Boaz had to go to the city gate and wait for this first redeemer to come by. And he said, hey you, sit down right here. And then he grabbed up ten elders of the town. And he said, hey you guys, come sit down right here. I got to make this thing right, right now. Well, God went to his son and he said, son, you've got to make this thing right. You've got to go and you've got to get these people who are far from me, who are lost from me. They've been impoverished. They've been in famine. Their sin has made them far from me. But I want you to go and buy them back. And Jesus' promise is that he will redeem He'll redeem you from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. Colossians 1.13 says that he has transferred us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you know that there is a domain of darkness out there, that there are spiritual forces of evil that are at work in the world? You may say, like, I don't believe in all that hokey-pokey ghost stuff. I don't believe in spiritual forces of darkness. Like, you make bad decisions, you make good decisions, you're a bad person, and you're a good person. There are spiritual forces of darkness out there and there is a domain of darkness that you can live in or you can live in a different world you can live in a world of light and there's no such thing as like bad people and good people there are people who live in the domain of darkness and people who live in the domain of light you're like i don't believe in that well where does depression come from where do where do things like multiple personalities come from where do things like Uh, A man stabbing his sister and her son come from? Where do things like murder come from? Where do things like uh, Hitler come from? There's a domain of darkness at work in people's lives. No one wakes up and thinks, I just want to be an evil person. No, no, there there is a source of darkness behind that working itself into every person's life. And it can work itself into any person's life. That's why all of us could be found guilty of things like lying and cheating and stealing and being an adulterer, and all these things that God says, those aren't good. We could all be found guilty if we really searched out our life and our hearts. But Jesus promises to redeem us from the domain of darkness, to transfer us to his kingdom. 
I remember that moment when I first was redeemed from the domain of darkness and transferred into his kingdom. I remember the church I was in. I remember the moment. I remember walking down the aisle. I remember bowing my knee. I remember kneeling before my king. And for the first time feeling like I had really met my savior. I remember his love pouring out in my heart. I remember feeling how gross my sin was. I remember feeling how broken and messed up I was. This, I, this, this young guy, I thought I was so cool. I thought I was so hip. I thought I had it all together. I had my way with the ladies. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm doing good. And then on my knees, I realized, my God, my God, I don't deserve you. And his love poured out into my heart. And his grace was shed abroad in my life. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He said, I thought I could have leaped from earth to heaven all that one spring when I first saw my sins drowned in the Redeemer's blood. You know, trying to wash yourself up, trying to make yourself clean is like when you got tattoos and you're trying to like scrub it off with a paper towel. It's just not going to work. That tattoo's staying there. You need something stronger than that tattoo to wash you clean. And it's the blood of Jesus. And he will wash you. But then the question comes, you know, why, if this is true, like, why wouldn't every single person on planet Earth, like, believe in this and walk in this and stand in this? Well, our pride keeps us. My pride almost kept me. My pride of thinking, like, no, I'm a pretty good guy and, like, I do pretty good things. It kept me from bowing my knee to say, no, 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 God, I do live in the domain of darkness. No, 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 God, I do need you to save me. I do need you to transfer me. That's what Colossians says, is that he transferred us, not I transferred myself. Yeah, yeah, I was standing in darkness, but then I made that decision, you know, like I went over to the light and like, I'm a good Christian boy now. No, no, no. I was standing in darkness and he redeemed me over to the light. Like I was standing in darkness and I had no hope of getting over there and I didn't want to get over there. I liked my darkness. I liked my ways. I liked my life. And he said, you're mine and moved me. And then I was transferred into the kingdom of his light. He redeems us from the curse of the law and gives us the blessings of Abraham. Charles Spurgeon, who I just quoted a minute ago, his life story is incredible to me. And one of the things about his life story is that he, for five years of his life, was going from church to church to church, trying to find a way to get this burden relieved from him because he knew that he wasn't measuring up to the standard of God in his life, but he didn't know how to get out from under that and be approved by God. And so he was going from church to church to church trying to find an answer. How can I be relieved of this burden because it's weighing upon me? And year after year and day after day, he would say the burden of his sin and the burden of his failure before a good God was weighing on him so heavy that he would have rather died. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like you were on that treadmill of religious performance? You ever felt like you just wake up in the morning and you're like, God, I just don't, I I can't match up to you. Like, I can't meet your expectations of me. Like, I'm trying and I'm working and I'm I'm wanting to do good, but I, I just keep failing. And God, even if I did do good, I have so many past failures that I just don't know if you could ever accept a wretch like me. I just, I don't know, God, could you? He said he went to this little church on a snowy day and the preacher couldn't get there because it was too, it was too, too snowed in. And this good old boy stood up and he preached this simple message. He said, look unto him. 
Look unto him and ye shall be saved. Look unto him and you shall be saved. And it said it clicked with him. He just got it. If I just look to Jesus, Jesus will take care of it for me. If I just look to Jesus, he'll be the one to flip the lights on for me. If I just look to Jesus, then he'll bless me and he'll make me his. Galatians 3 says it like this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Do you know that's us? Do you know we're Gentiles? Jews are the ones who followed the law of God. Jews are the ones who followed it all to the T. We're the Gentiles. We're the ones who weren't even close to being accepted by him. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Life with Jesus is not a life of trying to attain him. Life with Jesus is a life of him giving himself to us. And then we get to walk by the Spirit. The Spirit set us free from life under the law. Where we're trying to perform and we're trying to carry the burden. Life in the Spirit says, if you just walk with Jesus, you'll walk free of sin. If you just walk with Jesus, you will do as he's commanded you to do. Lee Strobel says it like this. Jesus Christ did not come into the world to make bad people good. He came into this world to make dead people live. Do you know that? Think about a ladder, if you could. And at the bottom of the ladder are the worst of the worst, like Adolf Hitler. At the top of the ladder are the best of the best, like Mother Teresa. You may fall, I don't know, I'd probably put myself like four. You know, I don't want to be too arrogant, you know. You may put yourself like five or six. You know, everyone always shoots for the middle. You're somewhere in there, right? If God is like way up here, you'll never reach him by your own efforts. You'll never perform well enough. Some people say like, yeah, good people go to heaven, right? Like, good, like God accepts good people. He doesn't accept bad people. Like that heroin addict across the street from me, no, God doesn't accept him. That prostitute I saw in the corner the other day, God doesn't accept her. That boss of mine who's so rude every day, mm-mm, God does not want him. But me, I mean, like I pay my bills and I love my kids and I go to work and like I come to church and like, I open the door for grandma when she's walking through and like, I'm not a jerk. God loves me. That whole thing is based on your performance. Jesus said, no one's good, but God alone. Only he is good. So if you're trying to get there on your own performance, even if you're like Mother Teresa, pretty great woman, she wouldn't get there on her own performance because even she is not good in the sight of a holy and perfectly good God. It's like if I have like a, a bottle of water and it looks clean. You say, oh, it's clean water. But then I have water that you know is pure. Like it's pure, undefiled, untainted water. If I pour in the perfect water and it goes into the bottle that looks good and it gets all black and nasty, you'd have to say, well, that really wasn't good, Right? Like, it looked good, but it really wasn't good because I put in something that was perfect and it became bad, right? Or like, if you looked at yourself and you're like, yeah, I look pretty good, or you put a mirror in front of you and it's kind of like one of those mirrors that makes you look all fine and you're like, yeah, I'm looking good today. And then you put a mirror that like, this mirror is a perfect mirror. Like, whatever this mirror shows you, that's reality. It's not like a false reality with all the little curves built in. It's a real mirror. And you stand in front of that and you're like, oh my gosh, this is bad. I need to go to the gym. (laughs) 
That's the mirror you should judge yourself based on, right? Well, to, to kind of paint God in my own image and be like, yeah, I'm a good person based on what I think a good person is. It's not reality. But to look at God as he really is and go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, like God, I, how can you even look at me? I'm so filthy. And then to step into the love of Christ, the Redeemer who takes away my sin. Oh, what love. It's cheap love to just say, yeah, God loves me how I am. He doesn't, no, no, it's true love to say, yeah, God sees my filth and he sent his son to die on a cross so that I could have life. Oh, what love that is. He frees us. He redeems us from lawlessness to zeal for good works. You know, if you've ever had the thought, I'm just too far for God, I'm just, I've kind of gone too far down the path of sin that I don't really think I could ever make my way back to being like an acceptable Christian again. Let me just say to you that this story breaks that thing apart. Ruth was a Moabite woman who served unknown gods. Her new husband, Boaz, was the son of a prostitute, Rahab. The prostitute and the Moabite woman who served unknown gods get their way into the lineage of Jesus Christ and he writes it in his book. Yes, this is my for, this is the, in my line, a, a Moabite woman and a prostitute. Not only that, Matthew, one of his disciples, tax collector, known for pushing down the poor man to lift himself up with greed. Paul, one of his closest disciples, one who wrote a lot of the New Testament, was a murderer. Jesus said, I came for the sick, not for the healthy. You think you're too far, you're not too far. All you have to do is come to the Redeemer and say, save me. Take me. Make me yours. If you did that today, if you did that in this moment, if you said, Jesus, take me. I know I've sinned. I know I've lived a life that's not pleasing to you, but I'm repenting. I'm sorry for that. Please forgive me. Please make me right. Please purchase me for yourself. He would say, amen and hallelujah, yes I will, come into my family, come have a feast, come sit at my table, come let me love on you, come let me cleanse you, come let me make you right, you are mine. And it doesn't happen in five years when you get your life cleaned up, it doesn't happen in six weeks when you've kind of done the program, it happens the moment you come to him. I just want to say you should come today, don't wait a moment. God says the day of salvation is today for you. Don't wait a moment. Maybe you've got doubts in your head. Maybe you're thinking like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Just say yes. Just say yes, I'll believe in you. Yes, humble yourself. Yes, I'll repent of my sin. Yes, I'll turn away that you would make me right. I gotta hurry up here, I'm running out of time. He'll redeem you from dead works to serve the living God. If you wanna look more into that, Hebrews 9, 14 is a great passage. You could spend your entire life trying to do works that really aren't pleasing to God, but works that are pleasing to God are works done in faith, works done in love. He has a purpose for our lives, not just that we would be redeemed by him, that we would become redeemers in his hands. Do you know that God wants to use you as an instrument in his hand to redeem the lives of people all over the place, that everywhere you go, that everything you do, you'd be used by him as a redeemer? And it's not about how impressive you can be. There's no such thing as a great man or a great woman for God. There's only a great God and people who submit themselves unto him. And then as they submit themselves unto him and they become an instrument that he can really use and not an instrument that's always fighting against him, but an instrument that he can really use, he can paint a beautiful picture with your life. 
You know why Boaz was able to paint such a beautiful picture on the life of Ruth and Naomi and redeem them? It's because he submitted himself unto God. You know why Jesus was able to paint such a beautiful picture of seeing the world saved unto him? Is because he submitted himself to his Father. You know, if you just submit yourself to God and become an instrument in his hand, he could paint beautiful things through you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Do you know that? I'm in Christ, that means I'm new. It's not the old me. The old me who used to do all these things. The old me who used to kind of act like that and think like that and treat people like that. The old me who was always falling into that sin. It's not me anymore. I'm a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And here it is. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You know, there's a ministry that God has for you. There's a ministry that he's called you into that you would, then now that you're redeemed, that you would redeem others. And I just want to encourage you, step into the ministry that God has for you. Don't wait. Don't like just sit back and live your life just kind of coasting. No, no, no. Step into the ministry that God has for you. And he has a ministry. I'll help you out. A few things he could be using you to minister through. He has a ministry in your family. He is, if you're a husband, he has given you a ministry to your wife. If you're a wife, he has given you a ministry to your husband. If you're a parent, he's given you a ministry to your children. If you are a roommate, he's given you a ministry to your roommates. If you're a son or a daughter, he's given you a ministry to your parents. If you're a coworker, he's given you a ministry there. If you're in this church, he's given you a ministry here. It could just be, yeah, yeah I'm just serving kids and I'm just doing greeting, I'm just kind of holding the door, I'm just kind of showing people their seats. Or it could be, I'm giving my life that more people meet Jesus. I was just at the lake last night, did a wedding last night, and I was sitting with one of the couples in the church there, and she was telling me this beautiful story of this woman who, I think her name's Margot, started coming to church a few weeks ago, and she was so touched by what was happening in the church that she made a decision, I'm not going to miss this Sunday. And she didn't have a ride to church. I don't know why she didn't ask somebody in the church. Anybody would have picked her up. But she decided, I'm not going to miss. I'm going to make it to church. And she started walking to church. Three hours she walked to church. And the high V manager pulled up. She's like, what's going on? What's wrong? She's crying. Her feet are bleeding. She's like, I can't miss church today. She gets into the church. And this greeter sees her. She says, oh, sweetie, let me take you in the bathroom and clean you up takes her in the bathroom, gets down and washes her feet and wraps them up and helps her out. And Margo would say, in that moment, I knew that God cared for me. In that moment, I knew that God loved me because she loved me. You think, oh, I don't have a ministry. What could my life ever account to? No, God's given you a ministry. God's given you a significant role to play in his church. He has given you a significant role. And it could be at your work, it could be at your home, it could be here, it could just be loving on a kid and J-Kids, it could just be committing to pray for the kids and J-Kids. Or it could be, you know, I'm going to become a teacher today, or I'm going to become something, I'm going to join a community group and love on people. Why? Because I believe God's given me a ministry to redeem others. And that's how the church grows, is person by person we make this decision. He's redeemed me, I'm going to live my life to redeem others. And through us, he blesses the nations. That was the blessing on Abraham that came to Jesus Christ, that comes to us, is that he blesses us and makes us a blessing to the nations. And this is where it ends. 
Revelation 5, 9 through 10. And they sang a new song. Who's they? It's us. It's those who belong to him. They sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. He will set up his kingdom, and it will be an everlasting kingdom. And people from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. There's 72 languages spoken within three miles of this building. St. Louis has gone through a lot with diversity. It's gone through a lot with people being separated, and yet Jesus, by his blood, is redeeming. He's purchasing back every tribe. Every tongue, every people, every nation unto himself. And you and I can be a part of that. We can be a part of that in our lives. Would you grab out your communication card? I want to just walk you through a few quick things. If you have not yet been redeemed by Jesus, if you've not put your trust in Jesus, please do that today. It's simple. You just repent. Jesus, I'm sorry, but I want you. Please take me. And he takes you to himself. Check that box. We'll follow up with you. We'd love to help you get started. Also, get baptized on December 13th. It's the week before Christmas. What a beautiful display of the coming king that we'll celebrate on Christmas. That you would get baptized and say, yes, I belong to him. Yes, he is mine. And I'm going to tell everyone about that. If you haven't been baptized as a believer... Check that box. Make God's word greater than my perception this week. There's so many things we could believe, but believing his word will help us in all of this. Live my life with an internal perspective. What if you lived your life with the perspective that Jesus was using you to redeem others? What if you lived your life with this perspective that every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation, he was buying back to himself and he was using you to be a part of that? I think it might change the the way that you lived every second, every minute, every hour, every day. And finally, step into my ministry. If you haven't stepped into ministries that God's called you to, now it sounds like a big word. It just means serving. Step into the serving. Step into the blessing that God's called you to do towards other people. I've got a video I want to show you because I want to encourage you that the little things that you do and the little ways that you express the love of Christ can make a massive difference in a person's life, in a city's life, in a family's life, even in a nation. And this video is the video of a a woman in our church, uh, Wendy Chen. She'll be recognized as a member in the 11 a.m. And she uh, just got a beautiful story of somebody who loved her and showed her Christ. And that's how she met the great Redeemer. I was raised in a mainly atheist family. Taiwan has about 2% Christian as of the whole population, so I didn't know any Christians growing up. Then I moved to the U.S. when I was in fifth grade, and I was diagnosed with a very severe case of flat feet with unexplained overproteination and deformation of my bow. It got so bad to the point that I couldn't walk to school, and for some reason, a, a neighboring church heard about my condition, so a sister came and asked if she could pray for me. So she did that for about two months, once a week, and every now and then she'll bring us food. One night she called us and asked if we would be interested in going to a healing session. We didn't want to go at first, but we decided that why now we might as well give it a shot because we've tried everything else and it's not working. So we went to the healing session, and there 
there were people that prayed for me, and I saw the healing in front of me where my bones slowly diminished in size. I didn't understand what that meant, but I knew what I saw could not be explained by what I knew from before. So I decided to go to church and be open to the idea of Christianity. And after I learned more about it, about it and prayed with my mom about my complete healing, I was completely healed after about three to four months of praying. And that's when I realized that he is a living God because he has prevented me from so much pain. I would not have been even be open to Christianity or be exposed to Christianity if it weren't for that sister from that church who came just to pray for me. I'm also thankful for what I've ha- what has happened to me despite what it looks like on the outside because it is a constant reminder that he is a living God and he is real and that he does love me. It's not what I've done to earn his love or this healing. It's, it's completely given to me for free. And whenever my faith wavers or whenever someone questions my faith, I will never have a doubt because I am reminded of him through my feet every single day.